Hey, everybody. What's up? This is episode seven of Classic Land Train. I am so glad to be back. Um, more on that in a separate video or post. But yeah, I'm just really glad to be here and even more glad today with my guest, who is Christian Harvey, a double bassist from, hi, Christian, <laughs> a double bassist from Georgia. He is currently studying at the Schwab School of Music based out of Columbus State University. Christian, so what are your pronouns? My pronouns are he and him. And how are you doing today? How's uh, 2021 treating you? Today was good. It's um, it's actually a sort of hot day in, in uh, Columbus. Um, Columbus weather is always weird because a couple nights ago it, it, it was 20, now it's like 60 out. So, <laughs> dude, that is totally that is totally Texas weather, man. Like it is, it's like grayscale and like 70 degrees right now. But um, like three days ago, it was 35 degrees. You know, right. it's just it's so erratic. Yeah. But um, yeah, so you're coming. You're coming to us from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, Columbus, Georgia, which. Fun fact is the like third biggest city in Georgia, and uh, and before I came here, I had no no clue what it was. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's located um, on the border of like Georgia and Alabama. So like right outside of my window is the Chattahoochee River, which like separates the two two states. So awesome! Yeah, I love the name of that river. I remember when I was driving to Florida. One time I saw Chattahoochee and I just couldn't stop laughing because I'm, right. <laughs> I'm apparently immature. But um, yeah, so you're you're from Georgia. Mm -hmm. Yep, I'm from um, Riverdale, Georgia, which for those who are like, Riverdale, what? Is that a show? No, it's not. It's a uh, it's near um, Hartsfield Jackson um, um, Airport for those who have been throughout Georgia and um, Atlanta. So I'm, 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 I'm in the metro Atlanta area, but yeah, I'm from Riverdale. Awesome. So what was it like growing up there, either musically speaking or just in general? Well, Riverdale, um, when I was growing up, let's just say that it's a lot better now. Um, Riverdale was one of those cities that um, rappers would rap about, like Waka Flock of Flame is actually from R Riverdale. And in one of his songs, he says, you know, I got shooters that'll kill you up in Riverdale, Georgia. So that was kind of, that was okay. growing up. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I grew up towards the like middle of it. And then I started doing music in middle school, which was kind of the perfect time because our middle school was a big like um, sports school. And so um, when I was doing music, I would do, you know, all of these things like um, honor orchestra. And then uh, teachers would be like, hey, aren't you doing something with music? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was fun. Yeah. So your teachers, they just kind of like your directors, I mean, they just kind of saw that you had that spark? They did, yeah. And me and my parents didn't really know. Like, I remember, because I started bass in sixth grade um, when I was 11. And then by my seventh grade year, I had got principal of the, like, uh, county 
um, honor orchestra, which I didn't really like know much of. I just was playing. <laughs> and then one day the director was talking to my parents and she said, your son has has some talent. And, and then my dad, <laughs> and then my dad was like, really? Him? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's kind of how I was up until my, um, you know, 15 or six, six, 16. I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just, I was just playing. I was just doing, just doing it. So. Oh yeah. You got to love parents. I, I love that though. There's, there's something to be said about parents that are just like, Oh really? Oh, that's nice. You know, like they don't want you to get too big of a head. You know, my, my parents were like that too. And I honestly, in retrospect, I really appreciate it because it makes you want to want to do it. You know, growing up, did you have a teacher, like a private teacher? No, I, I never took private lessons until I got to college. So like I said, I started in sixth grade. Then by eighth grade, I had auditioned for um, GMEA, which is like Georgia's, um, you know, like all state type of thing. And then I remember the day before the audition, I was like, I mean, I won't make it, but I'll try. And my teacher, my uh, middle school teacher was like, Christian, don't say that. Like you, you have a really good chance of making it. Just, just go in and play. And so I did. And um, I got last, last chair, but I made it. So <laughs> I was in there. <laughs> but that's so, awesome. Yeah. Thanks to teachers like, like, like that. I always push myself more. So. Yeah. It's, it's always really good to have um, somebody in your corner. I mean, it's really hard. You know, I'm sure you uh, felt this at least to some extent that maybe when you got to college and saw that there were people who had like these mentors that had basically been there for them their entire life. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do Suzuki today when they're four years right. old. And then 12 years later, 13 years later, they're sending them off to college as well. It's like, that was always so foreign to me. And I know that like when I got to school and I met people who, who had teachers that watched them grow up, I was like, wait, is this like, is this a common thing? Like, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like um, for, for me, that was when I started to do more um, like youth orchestras, like in the metro um, Atlanta area. So in my 11th grade year, I auditioned for um, Emory Youth Symphony Orchestra, which is at Emory University. And when I got in it and, and we would all be, you know, ch chatting and, and stuff, I remember there were bases that, that would kind of compare like the value of their instruments. One of them was like, Oh yeah, my my bass is worth twenty thousand, and the other was like, oh my bass is worth thirty thousand, and me, six sixteen year old kid with a three thousand dollar bass, you know, I just felt like, is this like, am I like in a different world? <laughs> like, it was always fascinating to see the difference between like kids that were like me that kind of grew up with the passion of it. And then the ones that had the like kind of paid lessons and an expensive instruments route. So, yeah, you know. to me, it was always like, especially now I have this metaphor of like making it in music is like, it's one of two things usually. 
it's like you're you're running both of you are running a marathon right but the person who has the economic advantage and the resources and is born into a place where they have access to resources you know we can't choose where we're born you know some people are born in chicago and have access to the chicago symphony and some people are born in topeka kansas or something you know there's no rhyme or reason to it but the people that have those advantages are running a marathon down a path you know there's going to be some obstacles that come up in that path like there always is but on the other hand you have kids who have no economic advantage or or don't have a leg up or you know this or that and it's like for them running a marathon through a forest you know it's like all you're facing is obstacles you have no other choice so i mean can you relate to that as well i know i could yeah um and i didn't feel feel that more towards i was like um approaching senior year of high school because i would have like base friends throughout Georgia. And um, it came to like college um, auditions and everyone was saying, oh yeah, I'm auditioning for um, Bryce, Jacobs, Juilliard, um, uh, CIM, CCM, all these different places. And I was thinking like, that's so expensive. And then, which is why I um, auditioned for schools that were only in my uh, state, which I, I got lucky that that my, my school here is really good, but I definitely could not have afforded to uh, travel to um, all these different states, especially with, with the bass, because uh, it, it would be different if I played flute and um, I could just get on a plane with, with my flew down my arm, <laughs> you know, like you have to drive places with the bass. And so that's when I realized there was the big like du- divide in between me and and uh, my, my friends. Um, I mean, of course I don't, like part of me is like, well, everyone has their own paths, but I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't lie and say, wow, I wish I didn't have money (laughs) growing up. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's tough to see that, you know, I uh, went to Interlochen for my last year of school, high school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember when I, uh, I had a pretty rough audition trail for my undergrad, you know, I wasn't as prepared as I needed to be for the places that I was auditioning. And I kind of, you know, I like, bit the dust because of it and I felt bad um and whenever I would talk to certain people about where I was going to school you know I'd say well you know I'm thinking of either going to New England Conservatory or UT and they're like what are you stupid like pick pick any C what why is that a question and it's like okay I can't just drop you know sixty thousand dollars uh for you know a year or like you know and be a hundred thousand in debt after i'm done with undergrad like i just couldn't do that you know i literally couldn't so it was just it was tough so i feel you there and i started to really become aware of this feeling of other like that i was like the other you know i hadn't felt that before because like in my hometown here in san antonio i felt like you know oh yeah i have my people this is just how it is here but then once i got out i started to feel 
ostracized in in different ways yeah. financially did you kind of feel that once you got to Schwab? yeah and um and i'm glad you mentioned about like feeling i guess safe in your home hometown because for high school i went to a, a fine art school that was built in my county which was a really good opportunity but at that school we all supported each other everyone like um <laughs> i remember it was um lgpe -E time and that's that's basically where the different schools in the county do their year like the um it's sort of like a competition type of thing and then it, basically everyone wants ones because one is is the best best score so orchestra always went first so our um, orchestra would go we, we would get get our ones and then everyone would be like woo orchestra then band was next and so orchestra would always say all right band you got this woo come on then band we, we get ones and then the chorus got got ones and so everyone just supported each other and then when i got to college and it felt so cold you know like i got to college and and i saw people um being i guess jealous and like drama over what solo they're they're playing <laughs> like I was confused. I was like, this is so different from, from where I've come from, which is like love and support. So, yeah. You know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, oh, why are they playing the solo that I'm playing? It's like, uh, because it's standard rap. I don't know what else you want me to say. And right. yeah. And so I, I get that. And I know once I got into college, I kind of felt like, oh, like I, I do. I Can I do this? Like, can I belong? Do I belong here? Um, but, yeah. and I never, I, I ultimately kind of found my place. Like it wasn't like in any sort of organization or anything, but I was just like, okay, I'm comfortable here. Finally it took a couple of years, but I'm good. But did you ever find like a organization or a place that you felt comfortable? Yeah, I actually um, started my own organization this past fall, the uh, Black Folk Society, which is the um, BSU for the uh, School of Music. I started it because, as I mentioned, when I got to school, everything felt weird. And, and this is what I noticed, too. So there were only a, um, a few black students at, at our school. Our school has about 250 students. So, so it's like really small for a school of music, but there were only about 15 or so black students in the entire, entire thing. And <laughs> as weird as that was, most, most of the, the, the black students were the top in the studios. So, um, I, I remember we would all be walking down the hall and then I noticed my friend would do the uh, code um, switching thing and ev everyone sort of dressed more appropriate. And so I thought, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is so different from, from where I'm from. And then most of my friends, the, the black students there were, were from, like we're all from the same area so i know we all talk differently so why is it that we have have to sort of change ourselves to fit in with everyone else 
And so then I realized, okay, this has to stop because we should be, be able to feel like our own. And so um, I started the organization over the summer. This is the poster here. Tilt it up. There we go. It's that. There. It's an awesome poster for those who can't. Those who can't see. It's really cool. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but we started it, and our goal is to basically uh, um, uplift the black students, faculty, and staff at uh, CSU. You know because. Uh, it's like, yeah, the, the uh, students felt some way, but we also had our, uh, our uh, janitorial staff, they're all, you know, uh, black. And then everyone would kind of treat them like they were like below everyone else. And I just, I don't know, every, people irritate me. That, <laughs> but it's that, like, I, if I could just interrupt for a second, but I really love that you included them in there because I cannot tell you how many times like at, I mean I, I at every university pretty much like it's always the either the dining hall staff or the janitorial staff just happen to be black or Latino or another minority and mm -hmm. people always just use that the excuse of their their title as a janitor to treat them like shit you know and it was always it was always so awful to me because I would always think hey like the line between those who have and those who are less fortunate is like one step. It's one step away. Like it's so easy to have everything taken away from you or to have, or to we're closer to the bottom than we think all of us, you know, n nobody's rich, you know, like 1%. So we're closer to the, to the bottom than we are the top. And so I just love that your mission includes not only students, but you know, the staff as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and another problem that we noticed was that before last last year, there were only two um, black uh, like applied faculty um, out of the entire school. And I mean, <laughs> so we of course didn't want to fire <laughs> everyone and just you know hire black staff, <laughs> but we we noticed that that was kind of a little bit of a problem because most of, of them were, you know, white, middle-aged, bald men. <laughs> so it's like, can we change it up some? And so um, my teacher, uh, Dr. Weitzel, Dr. Patricia Weitzel, um, this is actually her first, first year here. And she's um, the um, Afro-Brazilian, you, you know, so we're really lucky that that we have her because she's one really good. She's a great teacher, but she also looks like me. And and whenever I'm in lessons, I can just feel that it's like, wow, like I'm really glad she's here. And and that's what I meant by students didn't feel supported. Like every time I would see like for example, one of my friends is a violin player, and he's he he graduated, but he was a really good violinist. And even just hearing him play, I thought, "Wow, I'm so proud proud of him because he's black, and and we're all from the same area." So it's like watching me basically grow grow up, 
and, and do good in school, do good in music. And that's what most students felt was missing from everyone else. So the um, organization aims to sort of fix that problem. And, and we have been doing it a lot this past um, semester, so. Awesome, and that's really great. I, I know what you mean. You know, I, I had friends that, you know, went to UT with me that they, they made it, you know, and I was always so happy to see them doing great things and, you know, getting direct band director jobs and writing music and expanding their horizons. And it's like, you can't help but feel that, you know, it's like, oh man, you know, we went to the same, we had the same upbringing, you know, we weren't rich, we, we had it, but we had what we had and it was beautiful because we used those resources and we, we were able to, we were afforded the, these wonderful opportunities. Mm -hmm. So what, what kind of stuff have y'all been doing uh, since the organization started? The organization, as I said, we, we were working on it since the last summertime. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention the, the reason we like officially pulled the trigger and, and did it, um, our theater department, which is a really big, like a uh, theater school for the entire country. Last summer, they were under federal investigation for like racism, like serious race racism. I, um, like apparently one of the teachers, they would have makeup class or something. And then they, 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 like uh, apparently, and this story may be a bit false, but um, one of the students was, you know, black and she was trying to learn to do makeup on herself, but the teacher like didn't know how to teach it or, or, or didn't see the importance of it. Um, I'm gonna send you the, the um, article. It's really, it's really like in interesting to read, but yeah, so the theater school was, basically like fucked <laughs> so then we at the school of music that's when we said okay this is a yeah yeah it's about time so we started it and then by the time we launched um because i wanted to make sure that when when we launched we had everything ready so uh like i said we started in the summer then by August, like the first day of school, we had um, website made, social medias made, we had t-shirts printed, we were officially registered, we we had our first event planned and, and, and everything. So yeah, we started in August. One of our biggest things that I think that, that we've done is this thing called bringing school to the streets. Um, the School of Music is lo located in downtown Columbus, and you know you can picture like downtown life. Everyone's walking. There's there's like food food places everywhere. Columbus has a big big stage like like in the middle of the street, and so our organization partnered with the city of Columbus to do a sort of concert series, but we wanted to do some something different. So imagine this. So let's say we're at one, one block, right? We're at the, the sort of end of the, the, the street. We, we had one, one set up there, one um, station set up there where let's say there was a clarinet trio playing. 
Then at the same time at the pizza shop, which is like half a block down, we, we had a base um, ensemble. Then down the street further, we had a trombone group. And then on the opposite end, we had a cello group. So basically we had like four different music groups playing at once. And then every 30 minutes we would all switch and swap out. And so there was always music going but it was at a different spot. So you could walk down the same street and, and, and hear clarinets. You, you could hear cellists playing like rock music, uh, tr trombones playing whatever brass players play. I don't know, I don't care. <laughs> and then, yeah. So that was one of the biggest things we, we did. And it was a success. We uh, got a lot of money from tips and um, everyone passing by would say, I'm so glad that, that uh, you all are doing this because most of the uh, city folk um, like haven't heard music since the you know COVID time started. So it's been about six or seven months ever since they've they've heard live music. It's so cool that you that y'all did that. That's a big effort to coordinate because one of the problems is that, and I found this at a certain institution that I won't name but that they just don't they just didn't care about their student body like at all outside of the school of music like you'd go to the orchestra concerts this was pre-covid and there wouldn't be a single student from the whole university um present it was just donors pretty much like nobody oh. wanted to come at all who wasn't an old person basically. And then the school would be like, well, why, why is this happening? Why? And it's like, well, maybe because you're an elitist institution who doesn't even try to open themselves up to uh, an audience outside of the classical circle. And so yeah. I think that that's really great because what that ends up doing is a, you're giving people a service. Like people miss live music, you know, they want to hear it and you're raising money for the organization and it's it's all around beneficial you know so that's really cool what um and then also you're bringing attention to schwab like hey we're the school of music you know we're doing stuff like this what other kind of events did y'all have so one of the things that our school um at the our school does is a class called convocation um every friday we would uh pre-covid it, it would be where people can uh, sign like a register for, um, register to perform or give a lecture recital. And so now that it, everything is virtual, the, the class has expanded to where you can watch concerts or watch discussions, watch videos of stuff. So the Black Shulk Society, we have been, been doing panel disc discussions and so the first first one we did was with um, uh, our guests were doc, Dr. Rosephine Powell, who is the uh, choir conductor at Auburn U University, and she writes a lot of uh, choral music. She's she's known for that. She tours it everywhere. Uh, we also had Dr. N Natalie uh, Tameskin, who is a um, a professor of writing here at our um, writing school and then she is one of the uh, co-writers for Dear, Dear, Dear White People which is really cool 
Um, and then finally, we had uh, Kellen Gray, who is the um, conductor of the Charleston Symphony. And he uh, graduated from, from our school. So that talk was really good. It was more like, it was important for a few reasons. One, um, everyone there was like, all three panelists were black. And so it felt more kind of personal and, and a bit co cozy. Cause it was like, it just felt felt like they were talking and they had known each other for for years. But in fact, they're, they're all different backgrounds. They're all different ages and but the conversation felt so genuine. And then it was a really good thing. And um, a lot of folks in the School of Music loved it. Um, we also did another panel discussion uh, later in the year that we featured um, prominent alumni from our school. And that one had Dr. Uh, Courtney Jones, who is a, a tr trumpet faculty at a school in Florida. I'm not sure the school, but we also featured a um, alumni, Jarris Tobler, who is a high school director in Macon, Georgia. And that was also good because Dr. Jones would explain like how to, to go from student to faculty, which is what people like me and, and, and most folks at our school are um, kind of worried about. You know, it's, it's uh, scary to think about life, life after college so we've done uh performances through like throughout the, the entire university we would play on the different campuses we did collaborations with um different organizations so we've kind of hit the ground running and we're we're packed <laughs> yeah yeah that's awesome i'm so glad that this organization exists and is doing so many great things. And um, I mean, do you guys have like an Instagram page or something? Yes, our Instagram is simply, um, let's see. Yeah, it's just simply Black Shoal Society and, and Shoal is spelled S-C-H-W-O-B. So awesome. Good. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes or something, but that's, that's super cool. And so outside of the uh, Black Schwab Society, were you involved in any ensembles like performing ensembles or anything else that uh, you want to discuss? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, as a freelance musician in the Columbus area, I've played mainly with the, uh, Columbus Symphony Orchestra, which is, you know, the um, local orchestra here. I've, um, there's also an orchestra in um, LaGrange, La, La Georgia. I play with that orchestra. There's one in um, Albany that I've played with. And then there's a um, orchestra back in Atlanta called um, Orchestra Noir. And it's actually a really cool orchestra. It's an all black orchestra and so when whenever i play with them we we do we do mainly classical things but um you know it's kind of impossible to live in an all classical world <laughs> so um half of our stuff is classical then the other half is you know pop or funk so so the um orchestra consists of 
you know, strings, but also there's a rhythm section. You have, um, you know, bass, piano, drums, we'll have the trumpets and trombone, tuba, sousaphone. We have, have that, don't know why, but it's there. <laughs> and yeah, so like one of the venues we've, we played at was in Charleston, South Carolina. And that was my first time playing with them. And that was magical. We, we did these, um, there was a piece by Debussy, I forgot the name of it, but we played it and it was such a good like classical um, playing and everything was good. And then next we, we did um, Summertime, you know, by Gershwin, which featured a, a solo soprano and that was cool because she, she was also black and then later we we played like um james brown we did uh before i let it go which is frankie Bev beverly and then that was with the band it, it was just great um everyone in the audience came up to us and we were like they're like i have never seen anything like that it was good to see one um an all-black orchestra and then two, the music was so good. Everyone was, was playing well. It was good to see the uh, classical singer. And so, yeah, stuff like that is why I love music. Because I think music now, um, especially during COVID, music now is, is more than what you play. It's kind of how, how you, you play it and what emotions you can um, create from it. So, yeah, it's it is a really powerful thing, especially now that we don't have regular access to it. You know, there's no concerts, there's no shows, really. I mean, if you're lucky, you live in a city where there's a little bit of live music going on, but mostly everything's closed. So that's awesome. And, you know, what I love about uh, you describing Orchestra Noir is that they seem open to things like they're like, OK, yeah. we're going to play this uh, classical piece. We're gonna play the Debussy, but we're also not gonna limit ourselves. We're gonna play James Brown. And it's it's great because that's what more orchestras need to do, but a lot of orchestras don't want to do, or they want right. to do it only just so they can commodify on the like black audience member. They, they, they'll program it just to quote unquote, shut them up. And they don't say that, but it's implied. You know, it's implied that they just are doing this because they feel the, so, the social pressure too. But Orchestra Noir seems like they're doing it genuinely because it's their music, their experiences, and they're just open, more open to it. Yeah, and like, okay, so, so this is my like conspiracy theory. <laughs> so um, whenever I'll play with, with like more local um, orchestras and then it's time for our Pops concert, um, like we'll do a Beatles concert or a concert for kids, you know, that type of thing where it's music that's not by dead white men. <laughs> um, everyone is always like, oh, time for the pops. They don't practice it. You know, they kind of go on stage and sight read it. They don't really care about it as, as much as like Beethoven and Mozart, which I guess I understand, but it's also like, this is the music this is the music that lives now. 
And I think that's one big problem of classical music. And, and you uh, mentioned this, but uh, classical musicians feel so above everyone else that they don't want to open up and realize, hey, um, most 17 year olds won't want to hear, you know, movement three of Beethoven nine, which I mean, for some some people, you, you know, most classical uh, music, musicians are like, Beethoven nine, oh my God, great. Which I mean, same, but it's like they, or or even if they like classical music, they don't love it the, the way that we 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 do. So we have have to cater to the next generations if we want the next generation to come to our concerts. And so I, I don't I still don't know why why classical musicians have this sort of like feeling that playing anything that's like modern now is just less than. You know, like um, for for example, there's the violinist. What's her? Um, there's a violinist that plays um, pop music. I, I forgot her her name, but back in like mid in like high school, it was a joke of like, oh, if you don't get good, you'll end up being like her playing pop stuff, or like um, that viola kid. You know, he he plays both Bach and like modern things, and everyone thinks of him as so sort of like a sellout. And I just don't get it. Like, like, what do you 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 I think? See, and that's that's a really good point. I'll start with the whole seventeen year old thing, because yes, actually, I do think a seventeen year old would be like, oh yeah, like without context, they'd hear I don't know, say Beethoven's Nine, and they think it's cool. Right. I think people generally think classical music is cool. However, what they what I know pisses me off and what pisses a lot of people off and turns them off to the idea is the is the elitism around it. The context of that classical music is framed. It's framed as like, oh, you know, oh, did you hear that Beethoven symphony? Okay, you heard it, right? All right, well, now you need to, that's the standard of music, okay? That's the standard that we need to be at. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. No, that is not true. Beethoven was an above average composer. He was really good. He's gone now. And, you know, it's like we can have we can have Beethoven exist in the same space as, um, I don't know, Jennifer Higdon, John Williams, Gabriela Ortiz, and like all these different composers. And even in the same space as as pop music, as Kendrick Lamar, as, you know, Dr. Dre or, you know, name whoever you want, you know, Lil Uzi, like anybody, dude, we can, we can have all that together. But classical music, as it exists right now, honestly, and I will fight people on this, exists to tear people away from that. And the reason it's having such a, there's such a schism in the field right now, is because you have one people on one side saying, no, we need to start being more inclusive, and we need to change this. This has to change today. Now, we should have changed a long time ago. And then you have the people on the other side saying, no, 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 no. How can we allow ourselves to stoop to that level and to allow these outsiders and this outside influence in when it's, it's all bullshit, you know? Like classical music on its own, taking the context out of it all is, is cool, all right? But so is every other 
genre, you know, but the, the context of it is really what does it for me. It's like, that's why I enjoy it less than I did before I realized how messed up this field really is. Yeah. And like, truth be told, <laughs> like, I don't even listen to classical music, which is so funny because it's like, I'm a, I'm studying this, like I'm studying it and I want to do it for the rest of my, my life. But I mean, classical music, there's some that's kind of boring. <laughs> like Just like um, every other, every other genre, it has bad pieces. There's plenty yeah. of bad pieces, you know, some that we study like in the canon that are just not good. Yeah. And it's like, um, I mean, I can speak for myself, but also like going to a concert, like I would go go to, to like wind um, concerts or uh, per, per, percussion studio concerts and slow down. <laughs> but, but it's like, um, every time I go to these, these concerts, like I have to take a nap before or I'm going to sleep. And I just, like I always wonder why is it, and and it's not like I I don't love classical music. I love it. I love the music theory. I study it. I play it. So why is it that classical music is making classical musicians go to sleep? It's because. It, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm, no, 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 you you can go. I was just gonna say it's the it's the context, man. Like they they overstep their boundaries. Classical music is just nothing. They're just boundary stepping, you know, just all the time. Like we're the best. We're the best. You you should pay attention to this and not this. And that's the honest truth about it. And especially like 2020, as bad of a year that it was, it really is going to change classical uh, music, which I hope is. Well, I hope that it changes, but not enough that I um, can't get a job. <laughs> but basically, classical music, one, is going to start to become more di diverse. I mean, they, they can't fight it anymore. Like, one of my friends who plays bass at CIM, she was saying that um, one of her goals is, is to, like, join the, the Cleveland Orchestra because they've never had a black female bassist in it. And then it's like, yeah, that, that's a good goal, but that's a, like, it's kind of sad that your goal is to be the first. Like we should be past, past that point. Or um, now that there are like these big orchestras, main, like most members are, you know, old bald white men, which I keep saying, but it's true. I, I mean, they're they're all, and because they're still in, they can keep this mindset going of, oh, this is what we should play. This is what we should look like. This is our sound. And so uh, until those things change, then I think classical music is kind of doomed. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of feel like a bad <laughs> orchestral percussionist because there are just some orchestras that I'm like, no. No, thank you. I don't want to live in that city. I don't want to be in that city. I see the type of people like in the freelancer page uh, for percussionists. I just see certain people and I'm like, like posting and I'm like, 
what are they saying? Like, they're just saying like whack shit, you know? Right. I'm like, of course, right? Of course. Why would I expect anything else? You know, these dudes from Cleveland, of course they have these bonk ass views. And so right. I, I, I know that's a controversial statement, but yeah, there are just some orchestras that like, if they don't make it post pandemic, I don't want to see them pandering to us like, please give us money, please look at, we're trying. It's like, uh-uh, you had all this time to try and you continuously brushed it off as nothing. And it pisses me off that these orchestras will do that. There's just a, there's like a handful that are like habitual about it, that are just like, they're fighting it tooth and fucking nail. And so I'm just like, uh-uh, like when it's all said and done, if they're still not doing good, it's their own fault. Yeah. And like, this is a sort of side rant, but it's important, which is why I, I really value t- teachers um, a lot, like middle school, like elementary school teachers too. I um, started out college as a music ed major and I love the concept, but I can tell you now, doing lesson plans, <laughs> that's hard. So it's always um, the lesson plans that get people. I've noticed yeah. that. Yeah, lesson plans, you have to be a certain person to, to, to love do, doing that. So um, music ed isn't for me, but I love the concept. Uh, and I think it's really important to get students like interested in music for all the right reasons. Like it's, it's not about playing in tune. Um, it's not about uh, going on tour it's not about none of that it's about having fun which is sort of like a lost lost thing now most most uh uh university students of music they're they're rather stressed you know stressed about juries or recital um auditions they're everyone is just stressed for the most basic things and music is not supposed to be that like even uh, folks say music is a um, is a um, is a um, hobby, right? So if it's a hobby, and of course going from hobby to profession is a bit weird, but it's like you should still hold that same value of music being fun. Like whenever I I play with um, the orchestra we're in practice or or I'm just jamming with friends, I'm always making sure that I have, have fun. I'm always smiling, laughing. And folks will say, oh, Christian, you, you don't take this, this, this serious. I'm, part of me is like, you're right. I'm not gonna go home and cry because I missed a, a, a note. You know, I'm not gonna um, cry after um, having a bad lesson. So I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because it's so true. That is wisdom beyond anyone's years. <laughs> you know, like you're like, yeah, I don't take it that seriously. That's why I'm going to do good because I can't tell you how many times I've met people who take it too seriously. They take themselves too seriously and they burn out just like it's, because you can't, this isn't a creative field. If you take it yourself too seriously, it's going to hurt you in the long run. You know, you, of course you got to be some, you got to be, you know, serious enough to where you want to get better at yeah. your craft, but it's also really hard to do that when you don't feel welcomed in this field, which I felt that. And like, you know, I, uh, 
I also think that music school kind of stifles your creativity as well. I know that after before music school and after music school, like my undergrad, I was I generally felt less creative than when I got there. And I think a lot of people would feel that way. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I used used to feel that that way. Um, it was up until this specific day. So I was playing in this um, string or orchestra at my school, and which I really love. I re really love string um, string uh, music, but the ensemble is sort of like half conductorless, like half the um, conductor would come like different weeks. And so one, one of the days we were all uh, working on a piece and um, the conductor wasn't there. So one of, so the principal cellist was kind of struggling with the rhythm or uh, coming in. So I, I, I said, hey, what if you like, Give a bigger sniff, like um, like a, a better cue, then then that'll help. And <laughs> the craziest thing, so I said said that, and the principal Chichellis like looked at me and fell out laughing, and then the entire orchestra started laughing, and I part I I turned turned around, I was like, oh, it's something like, what are you laughing at, basically? And I thought more, wait, are these folks laughing at me. I was like, they're laughing at me for having a suggestion. And so that's when I realized, okay, this, I'm, I'm, I'm over this. This is, see, I mentioned earlier about the code switching, get like dressing more um, norm, normal. After that, I say, I truly said, fuck it. I said, I'm going to wear my Jordans. I'm going to wear my braids. I'm going a, I'm to a be me. I'm gonna talk with slang because apparently trying 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 to be so someone else isn't working. So I'm just gonna be mean if 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 people get get mad, oh well. And that's when I really started to flourish. I did um so you you mentioned my my style. Thank you. <laughs> but I also do it to represent the uh, voices of the silence, kind of like the the way that people, like I said, from where I'm I'm from, we, we all dress like this. We all have cra crazy hairstyles, crazy bright colors. That's our culture. And so then to go to college and kind of change myself, it felt kind of stupid. So from, from then on, you know, as I said, I stopped caring. And because of that, I really felt big, you know? <laughs> like, it was funny because my parents, my, my, my dad had always said, Christian, folks are gonna gravitate you, will gravitate towards you because you're a bigger person. And I was like, wait, are you <laughs> calling me fat? I was like, I'm, I'm confused. Um, and I always wondered what, what did that mean? Cause I'm not tall, I'm like 5'10", which is not like su super tall. So I, I'm not big in, in that way. But after that day in practice, I started um, having more confidence in myself because I was doing what, what I wanted, dressing how I wanted. I would listen to 
rap, I mean, which I listened to. And the confidence from that made, made me feel like a bigger person. So I said, hmm, that's what he, he meant. Or unless he actually was calling me fat. I don't know yet, but yeah. <laughs> so um, like I made a post on my Instagram um, like towards when the school school year started, we had took studio pictures, and in that picture, I'm 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 wearing like a Nike head headband. I had my braids. I had a chain on, glasses. I was just myself, and I said that I'm doing this because it's important that I dress like the people that. Wait, what am I trying to say? Basically, like growing up, I there was no one to look up to that was a black double basis. Um, and definitely not none that looked like me, like ones that were from the hood, quote unquote, no one that had dreads, anything. So I made it a point that I will dress up as myself, my my true self, so that those kids back in Riverdale, Georgia, um, those basis classical uh, folks will look at me and say, oh, there's someone that made it that, that, that looks like me, which I think is really important. And so um, like my, my recital posters, um, I did it one, cause it's cool. <laughs> but I, I mean, I did it, like if you look at these pictures. My uh, favorite one is the one where I'm wearing white and I have the uh, Lakers jersey on and I have some fresh Nikes. Oh my God. They were fresh out the box. They were white, but I did it. Were they AF1s or, or mids or what? No. Oh my God. These are um, Air Maxes. They're the um, Air Max 90. Air Maxes are, are tight, dude. Those shoes are like really underrated because everyone's always going for the low AF1s. Right. See, like that's basic. You know, you gotta step, step, step up some. So these pictures, one, I love it because they're cool, but it's also because there is nothing like this in the classical world. There is nothing that shows um, these different, you, you know, sports or or different themes, uh, and and also there is no one that looks like this. So that's that's why I did it also to make sure that. Everyone knows, like, okay, if you're gonna so like love me or or something, this is me. This is me. I'm not changing. I'm not. I'm not changing how I talk. I'm not. You know, this is me. So. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're out of time. We. I, I would love to stay and and talk all day about this because, you know, what you're saying. I will end on this is. You said, I will not let you whitewash who I am. And that is the most important. That is all that I, that I think we want, you know, you know, uh, black indigenous people of color, LGBTQ musicians. That's all we are really asking for space. That is ours that we feel welcome in. And for these people not to whitewash us, not to drown us out because it's foreign to them. And so, you know, Christian, I thank you so much for this uh, interview, your time. Uh, thank you. The wisdom that you have is just so beyond 
uh, either of our years, you know, it's, <laughs> it was really great to, to hear all this and I know everybody's going to enjoy it. So thank you so much. Thank you. And, and uh, this is a really cool concept that, you know, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to sound weird didn't you say that, that I'm proud of you, but I am because because this is a thing that like this is a thing everyone wants, but but no one knows how to start it. And so you you've you've actually done it, which is really good. I appreciate that so much. And yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, cool podcasts starting up, you know, um, my friends at Classical Queeros on Spotify, mm -hmm. and I think they're on a lot of other podcasts, but they're, they're cool, you know, uh, Her Story podcast, Classically Black. Yeah, um, man, I they're, they are the OGs, you know, I'm just, I kind of wanted to do this for students, you know, mm -hmm. like, because I felt like a lot of podcasts don't focus on students. So I uh, just wanted to do that. And yeah, man, I, it was great talking to you. I hope you have a good rest of your day. And yeah, thanks so right, much. Thank you.